That's not good. Sounds like the worst thing you could do in the world is start a VC fund. The following audio is the expressed opinions of the hosts and guests and do not reflect investment advice or recommendations of any kind. All funny jokes or just jokes, so don't get it twisted. Have you ever just wanted to get online, have every single stock investment just explained to you perfectly with the power of AI? Great. So have we. It's been something that we've just looked for constantly. And we love this podcast. And guess what? This podcast loves FinChat. FinChat is the greatest tool to ever exist when you want to start examining stocks. You can hop online, create an account at finchat.io, start using an AI assistant, and find everything you need about Apple, Tesla, Amazon, and so many more. Check it out, finchat.io. So that's what I ended up telling him. I was like, look, if you don't have more than 10 million, it's just, it doesn't, doesn't play. Uh, and that's, <laughs> I got out of that casino alive, which was good. Nice. Uh, um, speaking of casinos, dude, uh, Dylan, our best friend, Dylan, who's super secret that nobody uh, can find, which I appreciate. He's so incognito. Like that's him to a T. Um, he told me about this movie called Gambler or The Gambler with Mark Wahlberg. Uh, we were talking about different pieces of information, whatever it might be. Anyway, he described this movie as inherently insightful into understanding how he thinks, which is a question that I like asking. Do you like that answer? That was pretty good. What movie represents how you think? Is that what you like asking people? I like asking that. I'm like, hey, what movie, if you like movies or books, represents how you think? People really stretch that out and then start to think through it. And then all the people that say, like, Batman Begins, I'm like, yes, cool. Thank <laughs> 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 you. That's hilarious. Yeah. The movie, you've never asked me that question before, by the way. Are we going to totally ask you that? No, no, no. At the very beginning, when we probably started hanging out, you just don't remember. What was the answer? Do you remember? No, because I kind of just tuned out half the secrets. <laughs> I, uh, I don't know. I, um, answer that question again for everyone. Uh, I don't know what the answer was back then, but dude, the book Anti-Fragile by Nassim Taleb. I don't have a movie off the top of my head, but the book Anti-Fragile by Nassim Taleb. If you read that, when I read that, it changed everything about how I think. And now every like everything I say generally ties back to when you seem to love anti fragile. Really, that is and to the T how I think. Is that the book we read in 2017 or whatever? Anti fragile mindset. No, that's a book. Okay, anti fragile mindset. I forgot about that. Wow. Um, no, anti fragile is a philosophy book. Very good though. Very very good. So anyway, what's yours? What's your movie? Is it really Batman Begins? No, it's how Batman begins. If it's a book, I do normally tell people shoe dog. That's yeah. a very basic answer. Like, oh, yeah, you want to, you know, be involved in building or buying businesses or whatever it might be. But I read that book every single year between Christmas and New Year. Yeah, I always read that book. And then. So are you going to make any like, trip to Japan to hike the mountains and like find yourself? Okay. Uh-huh. And go stay in, you know, MacArthur's suite in the Philippines, wouldn't it? No. 
I don't want to copy Phil Knight's entire life because as great of a business builder and CEO that he was, tons of faults. You know, all humans are, you know, faulty. But great guy. Know a ton about building businesses and taking risks and doing a ton of different things. And like the problems that he dealt with are just astronomically larger than hopefully anything I have to do. Like he was being investigated by the FBI at one point and they've had all sorts of blowups with international trade and then customs issues. And yeah, I thank God I don't have to deal with that. But I like reading it to a frame everything in terms of, oh, my problems are nothing compared to this. And the B, it's just you just keep going. Like yeah, you just move forward. I've never okay, so Nike. We'll talk about Nike right here because our best friends at TSOH just had a great podcast drop about them. Alex Morris and um the crew just broke down their earnings report and competitive advantages, things like that. But Nike by itself, um having some really hard brand dealings as of late. Tiger Woods kind of left the brand. They have tons of shoe competitors like OnCloud and um, Hova. Hova? What's the HO one? Hova? Dude, but I love Hoka. It's Hoka. That's it. But they have tons of different competitors now, and people are like, hey, is the brand there? Like they've dominated shoe industry for decades, took over Adidas as the king, but, you know, are they going to show some slippage? But anyway. They broke down that podcast. Phil Knight built it all, but he wrote that book. It's fantastic. That's my longest answer ever for the book. That kind of drives my thinking. Movie-wise, oh, Beasts of No Nation. It's a, it's a Netflix movie. If you've got Netflix, or if you like Brayden and you just have the internet, which is Netflix, that's all I'll say. Brayden totally pays for all the movies that he watches. Totally. Totally. It's... It's amazing. It's my, dare I say, favorite movie, but it's just, it's extremely hard to watch. It's about civil war in Africa. Beast of all nations? Beast of no nation. Beef, beast, no nation. Yeah. Hey, Owens was the gambler? I like that. No, well, I don't know if that's his favorite movie or like exactly what makes him think, but watching that movie really... I really, now that I'm saying this and processing it with you like a therapist, like the things that I really enjoy reading or watching, consuming are hard things. And it makes me think like, I'm grateful <laughs> that I don't I, have- I got it pretty easy. Yeah. Yeah. It's great. But anyway, that, those are really great things that please watch, read, consume, whatever you want. They're fantastic. I highly recommend asking that question to people because it's fun and- Maybe or intentional question to figure somebody out. Interesting. Yeah. He told me that movie, The Gambler. I watched it. It has Mark Wahlberg and Brie Larson in it. And John. I've seen it. Is it like Mark Wahlberg is a really good gambler but quits and then he has like a brother or something who comes and gets him in gambling trouble and he has to like bail him out? No. Nothing like Okay. Cool. Sick. I'm yeah. Mark Gambler. Uh, Mark's gambler. Mark Wahlberg. And he's just addicted to gambling. And that's the whole movie. But there's a really good ending. So feel free to check it out. Follow Amazon Prime. So that's my plug for movies and what he said about gambling. But to jump into other forms of gambling, 
Let's talk about investments. Bing, what a transition. We are at all-time highs in the S&P 500 and Dow Jones. How are you feeling? Fine. <laughs> I'm pessimistic. I don't, know. I don't feel like, yeah, it, it's nice to not see red every day like we did at this time last year, for sure. Yes. Last year, we were seeing red every day, and it had to be close. It was end of December. Yeah, there was a little bit of a pickup in January, slightly. But, um, say that again? And then it was just red, 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 red. Yeah. My take on it is people only write articles. And you're only going to see this in news or wherever. Like, if the market goes up six weeks in a row, like it ended 2023, you're just seeing a bunch of articles of people being like, man, this is great. And like the economy's back, we're doing all this. And as soon as January hit and we had a week-ish of red days, there was a lot more articles of, is this the year recession happens before an election? Is this what's going to happen? And it's literally so dumb to me. Like, you're just pulling on the smallest amount of data possible and just the day sentiment. And then you're writing about that as if like, oh, that's enough analysis to affect the rest of the end of the year. Like, when you're looking at the S&P or just market index investing, whatever it is. Stupid. You got to think those people just have quotas. Like, I don't even read what comes up on Yahoo Finance or any of that stuff when it comes to day-to-day market analysis or Reuters or whatever. Because those people are just journalists. They have a quota. They have to write a certain amount. And so, yeah, man, what else are they going to pull from? They'd be like, oh, today was green. Feels like yeah. this is going to be a magnificent year. And it's like, oh, it's red the next day. feels like it's going to be a terrible year. And yeah. people actually click on it. It's crazy to me. It's when people realize that other people just do things just for money or power, then you, then you get it, okay? Then you understand, oh, maybe even Yahoo Finance, even Seeking Alpha, a phenomenal publication. I pay for them. They have... Good articles and analysis on different stocks, tools. They're great. Finchat.io, love them. They're the greatest software ever invented for stock screening and just using some AI quick analysis. I mean, at at the end of the day, everybody's still just motivated by the money. Cha-ching. They are. Yeah. yeah. So, and either they're making the money trading or they're making the money talking about it uh talking a lot of chit chat yeah but this transitions pretty well into the other piece that i have on people that just talk about money or investing like we do that on this podcast we're both registered we have to throw all the disclosures and they're in the podcast and that's great but mm, there's so many people uh on twitter or whatever that may have massive audiences that aren't in the, hey, I'm going to scheme you where I have a course about investing or all sorts of stuff, but they don't shut up about investing because everyone thinks that they're the clear winner, right? Like this guy, did I tell you, I'm going to send you the tweet link really fast again. Um, but this guy is, his name's uh, Peter Levels. He's been on a ton of podcasts. He's a cool guy. I, I like him. And he's built several different AI softwares and extremely intelligent. But this dude is 
all about telling people to shut up about different types of investing and just put your money into an index fund. I remember this guy. We talked about this guy halfway through the year last year. He had already, he had bought. Yeah, he and I went back and forth on Twitter. It was my first yeah, big bought Twitter battle. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Meanwhile, he's massive. He probably has like 200,000 followers and I don't. But uh, yeah, I just kind of wrote up like, man, he he's all about the index investing, but won't you know, talk about more diverse plan, but he just sent or tweeted out his entire investment portfolio. Once again, there's nothing you can do to a guy that does that on Twitter. Like that's not legal whatsoever. Cool. When he's not registered, love that form. But he's involved in several Vanguard funds, international funds, and then, you know, S&P 500, sold through Europe type of BUSD or whatever the ticker is. And then Homeboy has so many individual stocks. He sure does. But he just craps on individual stocks, like NVIDIA, which happens to be his number one holding in his entire portfolio at 15.12%. I'd see 19.2% actually on his portfolio on here, but that is hilarious. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Maybe maybe it's different than the 15.12 inside the sheet that he posted, or maybe it's gone up. I mean- it probably well. It's on the pie chart at nineteen point two, but on the sheet it's fifteen point twelve. Well, I think the pie chart itself is probably coming, maybe coming from a different source. No, the pie chart combines all the holdings inside of the ETFs. Uh, you are looking at it right. I mean, Nvidia has gone up though heavily in the last month. Uh, they do hilarious. Either way, hilarious. So he says one thing and does the other. Right. Right, right. But yeah, getting to the point of, hey, these are people that just talk about investments um, and they literally have nothing bad can happen to them. The same way, like you could be uh, on Congress, in Congress and trade whatever the heck you want. Like Nancy Pelosi, I don't know if you saw this, you know, she had to report that she made a couple of option trades on this random small company called NVIDIA. That uh, netted her over five hundred grand, which is twice her annual salary. Yeah. So it's really fun that politicians and everyone can talk about stocks or investing or whatever the heck they want, do whatever investments they want. All they do is disclose it, and that's fine. And then they just can clean up. They can make millions. She's made million off of just investing in stock trading and then you know maybe she knows some things or maybe she doesn't it's so weird that she made that trade and then soon after that there was some news that came out that nvidia was being chosen as one of the top ai chips not really out and about talking about it so i don't think she's the same kind of example as this guy or at least another true an example you're trying to make like she's not out tweeting like yo loads couple calls in nvidia <laughs> <laughs> no but even if she did we can't do anything about it, right? Okay. The only people that can change the laws are the people kind of writing them. But you're right. She she doesn't mouth off about it. She's just cleaning up on it. Good for her. People or Twitter accounts like the Unusual Whales and whoever constantly post about her. They're like, hey, this is jacked up. Yeah. Is Nancy Pelosi 10x the better investor than Warren Buffett? So let me get, let me understand where you're going with levels.bc. What's up with this guy? You just wanted to point out that he's a punk or what? No, no, no. He's not a punk. He can talk and opinionate everything about his investments. 
But in my opinion, on his opinions, that's baloney. Like, he's two-faced for saying, hey, put every dollar you have into these index funds. But then he has his largest holding as an individual stock. Yeah. That he kind of called. Many of individual stocks. He has Hyatt on there. Uh Uh-huh. You know, like he's got random individual stocks in there. So I 100% agree. Saying one thing, doing another. That is the definition of fraud. And going back to our Nassim Taleb, uh, Nassim Taleb, Kai Fragile, he has a very cool saying, which is, if you see fraud and don't say fraud, you are a fraud. Okay, I mean, but fraud to me is like, uh illegal. What he's doing isn't illegal. So that's why I don't want to say the F word on him. He is, he is a, I, I'm going to say he's a He's a fraud with investing, with everything that he does with indie hacking and AI software building. The dude's a genius, and he's incredible. Maybe, maybe, or he could be equally two-faced and everywhere else in his life. Yeah, okay, he could be, or, or it's ego, and he thinks, oh, I'm so right in my own area of expertise that that means that I also have to be right in investing. Very true. Even though I probably lost my, you know, what in 2022. And then that's when I got really mad and started tweeting about just index funds. And you probably shouldn't just put all your money in random stocks. But then lo and behold, I put money end of 2022 into NVIDIA. And now it's 19th of my so time. Follow me, follow me because I know how to invest now. Sure. No, no, no. Not just follow me. Let me brag. That's what gets me is he's like bragging about it. So. Anyway, I'm off the soapbox. That's where global economy, funds, money, public equities are all-time highs. We're doing great. I think 2024, hopefully, barring something terrible, unforeseen, in an election year, if we can do double-digit up, great. Good for us. So That'll be nice. Yeah. Otherwise, this is a podcast about investing. We want everyone to get their mind right when they started thinking about it because it's not just public equities Braden and I might be the only two people that are RIAs that also talk about commercial real estate private equity, VCs uh, speaking of VCs you're going to South by Southwest off a crazy well put together type of experience so congrats on that um, I'm going to be stealing your VIP badge occasionally but really happy with that I do get a VIP badge, but it's also part of my job description that I got to be driving around some of our CEOs and stuff. And I'm going to, it's going to, it's going to be interesting. I'm going to be, yeah, it's outside of what I, it's outside of my normal consulting agreement with the VC for sure. But they warned me, they're like, Hey, look, we're low on hands. We're going to have everybody working, doing things. We might need you driving people around and stuff. And I was like, okay. I'm going to be like, dude, you've heard of Uber. I'm not driving your shuttling, shuttling people from the. Yeah. No, what I would say is like, great. Yeah, that sounds great. I'll drive them around and then I would just book Ubers and then ride with them. <laughs> and, I don't know, man. You know, yeah, I'll I see it. It's not really that bad. It's time that it's time with very interesting people, which will be fun. You know, like these are people um, building new chemical entities to treat diseases. So it'll be a. Uh, if it wasn't the biofuck, honestly, you should be paying this just for that experience. I didn't yeah. know, I didn't know you were locking that in. What a domino effect that is! Cool. Oh yeah, I'm gonna say, hey, 
tell me how one makes a new composition of matter patent. Does one do this? So, yeah, back. That's your, you know, secret factory right there. You're going to love that. You're going to do that, then go home and start making new drugs in my bathtub. Could be sick. Okay. You're going to go all breaking bad on it. Nice. Yeah. Okay. Start mixing it up. Maybe you get nothing illegal. New no. stuff. New stuff. No, no, no. You just say the word drugs and you forget that that means several things. So I'm glad you dropped that in the podcast. You know, mm-hmm. that or probably not. We'll just leave it. Our listeners love understanding Look. how wrong you are. Okay. So you have VC stuff. You'll see a lot of that in Austin, uh, South by. Yeah, South. Everybody should come out to South by. That'll be fun, actually. Mm-hmm. If you're yeah, coming, I- I'll, I'll reach out to us and I'll see you there. Yeah. Honestly, if you, uh, yeah, if you text us at our special number, um, 737-210-3054, I'll just steal Braden's VIP badge and give it to whoever, you know, texts us by the first date of South by Southwest. So there you go. Engagement right there. I'll get you a Hi, My Name Miss Braden sticker and you can go roll through. It'll be fun. Uh, I, uh, speaking of VCs, uh, do you know that Nicole Wishoff? She went a little viral last year. Hey, I'm a solo GP, BC. Yep. Maybe it. Like, um, everything that I can see and tell from what she tweets and writes on is awesome or looks cool and legit. So she's not a F word like you called levels. She's not a fraud. But she's at least a legit marketer. We'll see what her actual portfolio turns out to be in 10 years when nobody cares anymore. Yeah, when, when no one cares. Or... She can get to 200, 500,000 followers, and we'll see where that actually goes. That might be the actual business. Anyway, she's a VC, solo GP. There's so many of those, and they all really kind of came out, especially, you know, March 2020 COVID, and then so many people started their own thing. Everybody was just getting massive returns. But she complained that there's too many players. Like, yeah, there are way too many solo VCs or just VCs in general. And there's a ton of companies, which there kind of has always been that problem. And that's the VC investing strategy. Invest in 50, have to reach the moon, lose on 48, right? Or maybe not lose, but just like lose, break like even. Big VC strategy, yeah. That's the big one. The little one's more like, oh, we only have money for 10. The micro VCs only have money for 10 investments. And so they're like, I'm really good. I know that I know I'm making the right deals. And it's like, no, nah. no. Nah. Yeah, I mean, like her, uh, she can be great. I mean, but she's in her 20s, 30s, whatever. So got a long way to go to even scratch or compete with Sequoia. Not that like, oh, that's the massive player. But her point of there's so many VCs and players, what do I do? And you got to stand out as a VC to have the best companies reach you. Really kind of made something click in my mind that... It's better to be the darling looking company than like a VC trying to find everybody. Yeah, of course. No, okay, this is obvious to you because you're smart. But to me, Simpleton, I was looking at it as like, oh, every company just wants to know every VC. And that's not the case. They want the best VCs. They want the VCs that align from board or, you know, strategic direction or whatever it might be not necessarily you know oh let me just reach out and get in touch with everybody yeah it kind of depends um it definitely depends on 
their background track record and whether or not they're an investable company in a big space. You know, like there are volumes of money going to different places. There's volumes of money going to AI. There's volumes of money going to biotech. There's volumes of money going to fintech. Yeah. There's a lot of volumes of money going to uh, new startup retail products. You know, so if you're a VC in the startup retail, or if you're a startup in the retail space, you probably do have to do the latter, which is like, I got to hit up VCs and prove that I'm something. But on the other side, no, nah, man, you're right. It's all about, it's all about who is the VC that can get me the most? Who's going to make the, make introductions for me? Who's going to, you know, push me in the right direction? It's a competition for the VCs. And because it's been such a, I don't know if it's a flip. There's just been such an increase in VCs, and this is what Nicole was saying, either Twitter or something that I read by her, that it's ruining the game for a lot of really good companies. Yeah, because she can't. She's like, like, oh, you should limit the you know amount of great VCs, and then just have that, and so the companies know, oh, this is where I'll go. Versus what I think she's dealing with is, I mean, she is lucky to be one of the hey, VCs with some sort of exposure that's not a Sequoia or, you know, Graymark or giant, giant players, but, you know, small seed, Series A type of companies could reach out to. But if she's having this hard of a time finding the solid superstars, that's not good. Sounds like the worst thing you could do in the world is start a VC fund and uh, pretend like you know what you're doing. Because it's, you're going to get walked over. I mean, well, for one thing, it needs to be regulated. It's not regulated. Anybody can start up a VC fund. Like, you don't have to be licensed any kind of way, type or manner. So that's just ridiculous on face. Um, so, yeah, you get a bunch of these people who think that they're hot shit. Most of them are people... You get a lot of people that start VC funds that previously were founders and sold, and now they have money. So they decided they know how to invest which is not the same thing. Running a company is not the same thing as investing. But they can go sell them states. Say that again for the people in the back, please. Running a company is not the same thing as investing. That is just the case. I don't think that's discovered fire. No, yeah. We don't have t-shirts that say that by the end of this episode. We fail. There you go. I've got a marketing team on it. That's good. So anyway, the VC game is very interesting because yes, when you're selling the VC, Let's say you're selling a VC. Let's talk about the biotech side, right? The VC that I consult for. They have to sell investors on one hand. And they're telling investors, go with me because you will see deals that you can't see anywhere else. Yep. We have proprietary deal flow for whatever reason, right? Then to get that proprietary deal flow, they have to have what this lady's talking about, the kind of distribution of the name within the companies or a way to facilitate getting the companies or whatever, um, or else they can't go through on on that promise. So the big competition is, at the end of the day, deal flow. Because deal flow gets you money, and it gets you the opportunities that exist. So yes, VCs, their biggest focus is finding the companies, while some people think their biggest focus is finding the money. There's just such a crazy amount of money out there now, since COVID, but I think even before. Such a crazy amount of money out there that... Yeah, the the VC space was bound to become crowded. And I think it was probably crowded before she started talking about it being crowded. She was just too ignorant to know. 
I don't think she was doing, I think she was just com- not complaining, but just going through the facts of like, hey, this, this, and this happened, which would be, you know, okay. But it makes me think, I don't know what you call this business strategy, but because distribution is massive, because it matters, and because I was a simpleton and just realized that, oh no, VCs aren't what matters, it's the darling superstar companies. Because yes, anyone can start a VC, but just as well, anyone could start a freaking LLC or a startup. It's nothing. But if you were to do, let's call it the flip strategy of there's a way to get a lot of potential readers of, let's call it Twitter or a newsletter or whatever, and you just start posting about random VCs. Like, hey, here's a VC that does this, right? Then your audience by itself grows into potentially a lot of people that are wanting to start or have started a startup. Correct? Maybe that or it turns into a bunch of investors. Or it turns into a bunch of VCs, right? Well, I get one, yeah, one wants the other. So it's like, oh, if you're talking about this VC and they're interested in investing, I'm a startup, I'm in that space, you know, let's talk. But if you have that audience, then what it turns into is just a conversion strategy for like, how do you convert that audience into figuring out everything about their companies? And then therefore the VCs, if they see, you know, oh, so-and-so is writing about this, this, and this, but their entire audience is 50,000, like that's it. Like potential user or not users, but like people that are in startups, they're probably getting tons of data on those startups. And then we as the VCs will gladly pay for that because they're a VC. That's where I think that flip would come in. If you do the content creation for startups because they're more valuable than VCs, then you do the flip and make VCs pay for the more valuable thing. I'm a little lost. So you're saying I'm lost. That got got very convoluted very fast. Um, Your concept is do distribution for the startups or distribution for the VCs? Um, distribution to the startups, but it's a data collection from them. So if your entire reader base or followers are startups, then you make them click on or go through things or give you information about what they're building or what it could be. And then it's a data set. I think Product Hunt does this to VCs. But then you just take that data and you're like, hey, you're a VC and you want to know about all these startups and kind of where they're at or what they're building. And you're having a hard time getting in front of them because everyone and their mom has a VC. Hey, us. We'll give you this data set. Interesting idea. Yeah. But that's just, you know, me chalking up. Is that possible? Would that make sense? I don't know. Could be a lot of pitfalls, red flags, uh, as I see it, if VCs are the least, least least less lesser valuable thing between them and startups then i think that plays but vc world is different man um a lot of people lost their stuff 2022 everybody started climbing back 23 24 is a wait and see but that's the vc world um vc world it wasn't that bad right because nobody writes down their stuff vc world it was just like what investments going down there's no investments going down no, we're up to percent on the year. Yeah, on paper. We're great. What are you talking about? <laughs> VCs don't write down. That's number one rule. 
as long as the company doesn't fail. And even if the company fails, they go, uh, tax loss. We're still going to hold it where it is until we understand the, you know, liquidation. It's like, okay, sure. Um, last point on VCs, uh, what's his name? Greg Eisenberg had a tweet recently where one of the big things that he just keeps seeing and people have talked about, you've talked about this too. Someone else on the podcast last year, uh, VC back companies are just going for pennies on the dollar. Yeah. And one of the biggest asset sales of all time in the world, in the VC world. So that they're all trash. That's because the VCs, here's the problem with the VC space at all. They want to find companies. Why do they want to find companies? Well, because they need to invest. Why do they want to invest? Well, because when they start the VC, they have people sign up for capital commitments, but they can't actually start charging fees until that capital has been utilized. So the whole incentive structure is like, I need to invest this money so I can get paid. Yeah, hope. Well, if you can't find any good companies, you just start throwing money in the bad ones because you're like, I want to get paid. Dude, if you were to if you were to come to me and say, hey, look, I don't care what you do in the public markets. I have a little bit of a strategy, but I trust you. Let me just pay you as you allocate money to stops. I'd allocate all the freaking money in the world. It would be no problem. Dude, I would do it as heartbeat. So if you're like, watch this. If you're out of Apple, whoa. Very, 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 very stupid incentive structure. And yeah. the other problem too with VC space that's big that we haven't talked about yet is the hidden leverage that existed there, which is like, um, I know this is kind of a tangent, but it's one that I wanted to do a write-up on and I just haven't. Imagine you have $100,000 in the bank and you have six VCs that come to you, 10 VCs that come to you. And all of them say, hey, look, we have this strategy. We're looking for deals. We want a $100,000 commitment. Okay, you sign up a $100,000 commitment with all 10. Your actual commitment to VC land is a million dollars, but you only have a hundred grand. A lot of people have been doing this because there's no call capital calls or the capital calls are 25 here or 10 here or whatever. Okay, fine. I'll just, I can go as I go. What happens when all of these VCs at the same time want to do a capital call for 50,000? All of a sudden you have 500,000 in capital calls. These VCs need that money to make the investments. But you know, in the bank, it's happening. There's a lot of people not able to make their capital calls. So all these VCs are like, I have committed capital of XYZ, but really when they go to collect on it, they can only collect 20%. And that's happened a lot. Uh, what are they doing to bridge the gap? They can't. The only way to bridge the gap is to add more capital from other people that can make it. And it just dilutes the person who didn't make the capital call. That's all it does. So the person's like, what's the loss? So, yeah, there's a lot of hidden leverage there at VC land of people that overcommitted and didn't care because what's the downside? Yeah. Okay. Why would you care? Yeah. Then, well, wrap the, the VC talk. I agree. Um, somebody should change up the incentive structure. I'm a VC that does things different. The website link. Well, I think it was my money there. Revolutionize venture capital. To- <laughs> I can see that happening. Um, and then you're right. If I was paid to manage people's portfolios and I only got paid as soon as I allocated money and not, you know, right away. Yeah. yeah. And then I had a, you know, two and 20 stupid freaking fee. That's insane that they can get away with that. And it's not regulated. Yeah. 
my mind, man. People, people do things. I said this earlier. Our money. That is the only reason. It's like, yeah, I'm a really good VC and I have a diehard mission on like changing companies and turning around lives and driving in my yacht and then living in Miami and in California and San Diego all at the same time. I'm going to transform the world of startups. It's like, wait a minute. You said a few things in there that are just like about you and your private jet. That's weird. Okay, here you go. Here so, Yeah, here's money. Also, with you. Yeah, yeah. Freaking, just basically, Matt, if you're investing in public equity, it's much more regulated. But do you look at great companies that can do good things like, you know, we talked about levels putting money into NVIDIA. NVIDIA is now like a, a $1.5 trillion company. That's silly. People get lucky. Mm-hmm. They mistake it. It's even worse when they get lucky because then they mistake it for intelligence. That's my favorite. I really love that. Like it's like Kevin O'Leary thinking that he's smart because he has a bunch of money and invested well, but then he turns around and makes that stupid FTX investment. That's my favorite example in the world of his FTX investment. They're like, "Didn't you do diligence?" And he was like, "Well, other people are new invested in it, so no." It's like, yeah, you aren't smart. You just got lucky a few times, dude. No, you yeah, you got lucky and you're just wealthy. Keep like using money for intelligence is like my number one pet peeve. If I had one pet peeve, <laughs> it's that. That's okay. Yeah, that's fair. Why do you think people do that? They just assume, oh, you have it, so you should be. You must be smart. I don't know why people do that, but they always have. For for all time, they have always mistaken money with intelligence. They discount the amount of luck that can exist there. It's not always luck. Can I tell you my my fault and what I just do? You, is it fault or just what I default to mostly? When I'm just like, oh, is someone intelligent or do I trust them? That's probably what it is. Do I trust them? It's not, you know, do they have money or do they actually sound smart? I I normally think or trust someone if they're obsessed. Interesting. If that's my number one trait that I respect or admire in somebody, if I can that. They're like obsessed with whatever the objective is that they're doing, whatever it is they're doing. Yeah. And that can bleed into several areas. Like, hey, I'm just obsessed building my business and I'm also obsessed being a great father or, you know, loving my family or doing something. Like those are good things, right? But they're they're obsessed. Like they they need it more than anything else, right? They're the guy. Let's look at so let's take an example with that. I, I'm just curious to think of how that works back tested. Like, what about FTX? Sam Banky Freed. Would you have considered him to be obsessed with FTX? I never talked to him. Um, there's a few. Oh, red really? Flags. He's obsessed with his video games. There's a few red flags of, hey, I'm talking to investors or something, but I'm playing Clash at the same time, right? Yeah. You'd be like, ah, he's a kid. He's trying to make a statement. Zuckerberg did the same thing, and he had put money into Facebook in 05, like some of those investors could have, and he blew them off. Like, that's yeah. a good move. But I, it depends on how, you know, talking to him would have gone. Maybe he would have come off as extremely obsessed with what he was building and everything. And I would have said, okay, you are trustworthy. Interesting radar. Yeah. Would have been so wrong. Like an idiot, right? Like you probably should look at the things that 
you spend your money on. Maybe as a better tell, but I don't know. It's a very interesting radar. I need to think about that more. If somebody is obsessed, what do you think? They tend to succeed. Why do you think I like you? And I talk to you. I'm like, this guy's obsessed with uh, writing Warren Buffett's letters. Maybe. And obsessed with owning a nuclear reactor. He's obsessed. I am obsessed with Warren Buffett stuff. So, uh, that. No, there's simple things of obsession that aren't crazy easy, but they are straightforward. Like, yeah, he is obsessed with this. And that's the kind of person I want to, you know, work with. Interesting. Yeah. I'm just some bearing the soul this episode. Hard, man. This is nice. We're getting to know really? I hate this. I'm going to delete this whole episode. Nobody gets to listen to that. Well, anyhow. Um, no, but that's pretty much all that I have for today. Then, you know, going through, hopefully, market continues cranking up into the last few weeks of January here. All time highs are great. NVIDIA almost being a $1.5 trillion company is great, but don't invest. Said we have to know you talk to us first. Be small. Sure. Yeah. And if you want a badge to South by Southwest, just call us. Cheers. By the way, just before, last note, I just get so frustrated when people make investments that are dumb and they don't think about it like at all. They're just like, yeah, this, I feel good about this one. And I'm just like, what are you doing? I had a, uh, we can save this for next time, but I had, I had one of those investments come up recently. <laughs> I had to go in with the guy and I didn't. I, I keep telling you, all right, here's a promise to our listeners. The next episode uh, that'll come out, whatever, last week of January, whenever our schedule is, uh, will be Dumbest Investment. That's just the title of the podcast. Very excited to break that down. I'm going to come with a list. Braden James himself is actually going to come prepare. That's going to be crazy. And we're going to break them all down. So let's do it. Appreciate y'all. Thanks. Thanks.